and we are live what is going on everyone welcome to game breakers your host edwin once again yo what a freaking weekend man what a freaking weekend you know how i feel right now i am so pumped and happy i guess you could tell why but i'll get into that later as the show gets on and going anyways guys you know my guy will is still on vacation so he has to come back later on he should be back for the next episode so can't wait to see my guy and hear all about the great news of what happened and how he was able to enjoy himself but anyways guys on a great tuesday morning yes at the time of this recording it is tuesday morning it is time to get into the sports the news the breakdown the relevancy every single thing that happened man but first before we go Guys, I hope you're doing your thing. You know, give my motivational speech real quick. Haven't given it in a long time. Hope you guys are doing some great work out there. Keep on grinding. Keep on doing your thing. And let's keep on getting this money. But anyways, let's dive into it. And before we go into football, before we go into football, because we have a lot. I mean, what a crazy, crazy week two. It was more crazier than week one. And how is that possible? I have no clue. But a crazy week two. Before we get into football, let's start with basketball Congratulations to the Las Vegas Aces for winning the WNBA championship, defeating the Connecticut Sun 3-1. That was a great win by them. And ultimately, though, you know, keep on grinding, keep on doing your thing. And that was a nice, nice, great championship for the city of Las Vegas. But moving on to some NBA talk, let's go to Phoenix. Phoenix. Speaking about the Suns. (laughs) Phoenix. So, Jay Crowder is a player who is available on the market right now and is actively being shopped by the Phoenix Suns. Why is Jay Crowder so important here? I'll tell you why. Because what he offers for a team is, at least over the past two to three years, consistency. Yeah, he has had these games where he's been non-existent. He's been terrible shooting from the three. But when you look at a guy like Jay Crowder and what you do need for your team going back into what we need from Pat Beverly and all those kind of players, you need consistency. You need guys who can get gritty and get grindy in the game. And Jay Crowder is one of those guys that can do that. Now, play some good defense still at his age. That's good enough for a team that needs defense. And on top of that, he has the ability to stretch the floor and shoot some great three-pointers. So you wonder why a guy, as in Jay Crowder, was a starter for the Phoenix Suns. You could have went with Cameron Johnson. Could have went with anybody else on the bench. But Jay Crowder has started for the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat in the past. Two teams who were the first-seeded teams in the conferences, respectively, last season. Why? Because Jay Crowder is that important to the team. That important. Very, very much does his job when it comes to just waiting in the corner, having some open shots. And in the past, I will admit that Jay Crowder has been a little bit streaky for me. A little bit streaky. I was very, very upset sometimes watching him play because we would have these great looks from Jay Crowder, man. We would have these great looks, and he would sell us. I'm talking about a guy that would miss open looks, and I'd be upset because sometimes these open looks would be three-pointers that would be um, changing the game if he would have made them, stuff like that. But, you know, for his career, average nine points. Last year, averaged nine points again. Uh, He shot... Was he shot? He shot 34% from the three last year, which is not good at all. The year before that, when he first came into Phoenix, 38%. And actually, the year before that with Miami, 44%. Not bad at all. So he's 
<laughs> it's funny. It's funny because every year he's taking a, a slow decrease. He's taking a, a decrease in his percentage in three-point shooting. But he still is a good three-point shooter. And this is what I'm talking about, guys, like the streakiness that he provides on your team sometimes. This guy, when you have an open look like that, you can't miss that many. You can't miss that many, right? So overall, I think the league average is 35%. So right below that average, it's not good enough for me still. But what he does make up for is the defense. The defense that he provides, I guess you could say he does a good enough job of slowing down players. You're not really going to stop anybody. He's not a lockdown defender. You saw that in the series against the Mavericks. Like, he's not going to stop Luka Doncic. No one's going to stop Luka Doncic, but he's going to slow him down somewhat, provide that uh, mindset that he has with the veteran in the locker room and whatnot. Um, And I I say all this to say that the Miami Heat are in the market (laughs) for a power forward. And you know how Eric Spolstra likes his power forwards, guys who can space the floor, space the floor and give us some, some perimeter shooting as far as that is concerned. But the big, the biggest thing for me is that he's undersized when it comes to these things, right? Like I want a power forward who's a little bit bigger, taller, who can still stretch the floor. You know, I, that's why I wanted that guy. And um, I'm not even sure if he's, if he's taller or not. Harrison Barnes, I think he is a bit taller than than Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder's what six six. Yeah, six six. Harrison Barnes is. Let me see how tall he is. Really quickly, six eight. Yeah, six eight. So he's a bit taller. Right, and we go back into the past couple of power fours that we had in the past. I got like if if Mo Harkless had a shot, he'd be perfect because maybe he's not the best defender, he's an okay defender, but if he had a shot, he'd be perfect because he is tall, can stretch the floor, and provides us some size at least from that aspect of the power forward standpoint. But I say all this to say that the Miami Heat are looking for a power forward, and I'm not sure if they're going to give those minutes to Caleb Martin, which would be undersized, but he could provide that stretching, the floor spacing that we desperately need at this point in time. And we have not found a replacement for P.J. Tucker at this point in time. So who will it be? Who will it be? Will it be Jay Crowder? Will we make the move to trade for Jay Crowder, give up some type of draft compensation, second-round pick maybe, or maybe a player swap, whoever, to get Jay Crowder back into a Heat uniform? I don't know. But it's evident that the Suns are not needing of his services anymore at this point in time. So we'll see what happens. But I will say this, though. Whatever team does decide to get Jay Crowder, I'm not going off of his early career. I'm talking about the last three years. He has been very serviceable. I mean, he's not going to give you 16 points, 13 points. might not even give you 10 points. Yeah, I mean, Obviously, he's a nine-point career guy. But he will give you consistency from the defensive end and also from at least for the most part, for the most part, will provide you that three-point stretching that you may need to keep defenses honest. And depending on what you have for your scheme, that could help your team in the long run. So, yes, sticking with the Miami Heat, let's talk about Tyler Hero. It is reported by uh, NBA executive that Tyler Hero should receive an extension that's worth a little bit more than R.J. Barrett. So his quote is that Hero's been a playoff performer and really – they do need him. We do need Tyler Hero. Don't get me wrong. We do need Tyler Hero. If we if we somehow have an issue where he's not on the team next year or this season, sorry, coming up, that would be a big problem. A big problem. Because Tyler Hero has kept us in a lot of games and has provided us some great scoring ability off the bench. Maybe he be maybe he's the starter this year. Maybe. I don't know how Eric Spolcher wants to run that, but maybe it's possible. But either way, though. 
is Tyler Hero a better player than R.J. Barrett? Now, when you have, listen, guys, you have to understand this, right? When you have players who are in the same atmosphere, right, we can go into the comparisons of who's a better player and whatnot, but it all comes down to does your team think he is deserving of this contract? And if he is, then you give him the money. That's one. And two, if we're going off of it's a slight edge between this player and that player of who's better and who provides the the most impact on the court, if we're having that, that debate, then I see there's no reason for us to give us more money than R.J. Barrett or for him to get less money. doesn't matter because they're both in that same stratosphere of who's a great player and who provides the most impact for the team. So I know many people will say that R.J. Barrett provides an overall better game than Tyler Hero does, better rebounding, better passing, and slightly better defense. Scoring ability is just as good, right? Tyler Hero provides scoring. He has somewhat of a playmaking ability to his, his game. Don't forget, like, I mean, I know he's not a guy that's going to pass the ball greatly, but he did average about four or five assists last season, so that's good enough for me off the bench playing starter minutes. Um, and on top of that, defense has improved. It's not there yet, but it has improved. But when it comes down to the money aspect of things, I'm giving him that money. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely giving him that money. Why? Because I do believe that Tyler Hero has star potential, all-star potential. Next year, he will be borderline all-star. And I say borderline because there's so many great guards in the East that it may be tough for him to be an all-star in the East. But if he does take that big step, then we'll be having these conversations about him being snubbed off the all-star team because of these great uh, guards or because of, who is, is winning and so far in the East and who has a better record and whatnot and all these different components that go into making an all-star team anyway or becoming an all-star. But the point is that Tyler Hero does deserve this money. And if I am the Heat, still no rush regardless, but if I'm the Heat, I'm giving him the contract. Give him the contract. Let him continue to develop into a great defensive player, a good defensive player at least in this system. And then on top of that, we already saw the jump that he got last season in terms of just scoring ability, the confidence. The biggest thing last year for him was confidence. The confidence to take some of the shots that he did last year is what's going to help him become a better player next season. So, yes, if I am the Miami Heat, once again, for the third time, I am giving Tyler Hero that contract. And when you do have a system right now where our only real threat on the offensive end I'm not talking about, like, you know, threats. I'm talking about our only real threat, as in guys who can go up and get you 30 points, is Jimmy Butler, right? We have some potentials. Bam is a potential. Kyle Lowry, not really a potential, but if he does return to his 2019 season form, if Victor Oladipo returns to his 2019 season form, these guys could be threats, possible threats. Same thing for Tyler Hero, can be a threat, possible threat. But I think that out of all these players, he has the biggest chance to be that 30-point threat, 25-point threat, game-clutch threat that we need in the future because of what he did last season. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong in the sense that Bam Adebayo becomes more aggressive. He realizes who he is as a, as a big man, and he becomes that big man threat that has the ability to do whatever he wants on the court. We have an instance of Kyle Lowry who can become that threat once again if he realizes that, you know what? I don't need to pass the ball every single time. I don't need to look for my teammates every single time for our offense to work. I can go be aggressive, take a shot here or two, and get us a bucket too. Victor, 
should have a full year, has has had a full year, a full offseason of work. He could be that threat in the future. I mean, people don't understand sometimes how hard it is to come back from an injury such as the one he did, play, what, six games in the regular season, and then go straight into the rotation. Not even straight into, but maybe take about, like, two or three, yeah, about, like, the two or three games, four games in the Atlanta series. Comes into the rotation and plays some very, very crucial playoff minutes. A lot of playoff minutes, too, at that. So he should have a full off season. He can come back healthier, and he can come back and being somewhat of what he was in 2019 but going off of what i've seen in the past and what i believe will happen tyler hero can be that guy who can come in and say you know what i have the ability to score the basketball like none other on this floor right we have guys on this nba court that can score the basketball pretty damn well but when i'm looking at tyler hero and his game last year i'm saying to myself there's nothing that he can't do on the court as far as dribble get his own shot I mean, I know he has some screens that helped him out last year here and there, but there's nothing that really separates him from getting his own shot as some of the other guys can. So why can't he develop that into something bigger and better next season? It's possible. It is possible. So, yes, Miami Heat, do your job. Give him the extension. And if he does provide us that scoring threat next season, and he does overshadow what we did lack last year in terms of just scoring the basketball, getting another guy other than Jimmy Butler to score the basketball, then we're going to sit here and say that, well, I mean, did we, did, we, did, we, did we really need Donovan Mitchell? I mean, did we, did we really need Kevin Durant if Tyler Harrell's taking the big step that he deserves and he's becoming the guy that we wanted him to become? He's alongside Jimmy Butler, and we have that scoring threat, and then we have the other guys, too, that can help out pitch in with some points here and there. Then, yeah, we'll be back into relevancy. That's all I'm banking on, guys. <laughs> that is all I am banking on. Tyler Harold taking a big step. Bam taking a big step. Kyle Lowry and Oladipo returning back to all-star form somewhat. That's all I'm banking on. Because without those components, we are a good team next year, but we are not a contender next year. That's what it is, unfortunately. Um, but finally, let's move on to some football. Football week two. Week two. Yo, 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 yo. Talk to me about my Jets. Y'all, I'm taking all receipts. I'm taking all receipts. You know where I was going with this. You know where I was coming with this. I'm taking all receipts. Word to Robert Salah. Salah. My guy, Salah. Yo, I'm so pumped up. You know what? No matter matter what happens this week. I mean, it might be a, a terrible week depending on what happens. But... For the most part, no matter what happens, I'm going to be good until the next game of the Jets. Why? Because my Jets won. And before that, Arsenal won that same morning too. I'm happy this week. I'm chilling this week. I am on cloud nine this week. I'm drinking up with the boys this week. I'm serious, guys. Because what a way to win a game. The way we did, I would have it no other way. No other way. Let me read you a stat here. A, a very, very intriguing stat. NFL teams, listen, NFL teams had won the last 2,229 consecutive games when leading by at least 13 points in the final two minutes. The last team, surprisingly, to blow such a lead, the Browns in week nine of 20, 2001, sorry, versus the Bears. The Jets break that streak. 
break that streak. Can you tell me about my guy, Joe Flacco, by the way? Listen, last week he played well. I don't think he played bad. I don't believe that the recipe of throwing 59 times in the game is going to work out. But what I do like to see is that we have the ability to stretch the field by passing the football. And because we had a good running game scheme somewhat in that Browns game, he was able to do that. And don't forget, because we have some great weapons, I won't say great, but some nice young pieces, some nice good weapons, Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, talk to me nice, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis is still there. I mean, Michael Carter, don't forget Michael Carter. These guys are going to give us Jets fans some hope. Some hope, guys. Seriously. What a way to do it. What a way. And yeah, I know. We had a couple breaks go our way. Of course. The Browns missing the field. I mean, the extra point after scoring that touchdown by Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb not taking a knee to to take some more time off the clock. That was a bad decision in himself. I'm, I'm, I don't know what he did that for because you go back to last year, did the same thing against the Texans. He took a knee. He had his big run. He went out of bounds. He, like, he went out of bounds for some reason. But he could have just took a knee, gave himself up against the Texans. He did that. But this time he decides to score a TD. And that came back to bite him. <laughs> that came back to bite him. Because, and I, I get it. We had a, a defensive breakdown. Talk about that play. It was apparent that Grant Delpit had to be the one covering the deep third. And apparently, according to Denzel Ward, he was covering the flat. But Corey Davis running past both of them. 66-yard TD. Big breakdown. And I'm over here thinking to myself, you know what? That's nice. That's That's cool. That's cool. But... Can we recover the onside kick? Remember, we haven't recovered the onside kick since about five, six years ago, 20, 2015. So can we do it is the question. Yes, we can. Brandon, yo, Brandon Man, credit to the special teams, by the way. Big credit to the special teams. Why? Because Brandon Man, the fake punt that ended up having us score a touchdown on that drive was great. That was crucial. That was one. Greg Zerline hitting a what? A 57-yard field goal. After missing one last week, that was about like 43 yards. That was crucial. He did his job on that. Also making the extra point that after we scored the go-ahead touchdown, making that extra point was just so crucial. I can't explain how crucial that was. Because if you don't do that, it's like, why are we even here? Like, this always, this never happens to us. Never. As in, it never happens to us in the case that we come back and win a game like this. Never. But he made the extra point. That was nice. But... Brandon Mann, the onside kick, he made it seem like he was kicking it to the right side of the field. He fools everybody, doubles back to the left, and they are unprepared, unprepared. Credit Justin Hardy, I believe, who recovers that onside kick. That was crucial. And I'm over here screaming, guys. I'm over here screaming. Oh, my goodness. Joe Flacco, please, 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 please score TD on this. Please. And... I was rewarded because what a drive. What a freaking drive to win the game. What a freaking drive. Let me give you guys some different components in that game that helped us. One, this so-called top 10 defense that the Browns possess, yeah, they have the they, they have a lot of pieces on that team. There's a Ward, Greg Newsom, obviously Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, you know, like Grant Delpin. Jeremiah Koromora Owusu. Owusu Koromora, sorry. A lot of names here. A lot of studs on that defense. A lot of studs. But 
we were able to move the ball considerably well, considerably well throughout the whole entire game, throughout the whole entire game. I'm talking about wide open passes, open lanes, open throwing lanes, throwing the ball deep, completing second and 15s, getting big chunk plays. Mike LaFleur, what a game call. What a game call. Why? Because that was the perfect game call to keep the drives going. Passing schemes was great. Everything around the line of scrimmage was great. Their end of rounds were great. Braxton Burials, their running game, for what it was worth, was excellent to me. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Garrett Wilson. Let's talk about Garrett Wilson. Guys, first Jets receiver, first rookie Jets receiver to have over 100 yards receiving and two TDs. This guy is confident. You see him over here after his first TD in the NFL, celebrating the way he is, talking to these Browns fans, talking all this smack. I love it. I love it. I, why? Because as a young team and as a team, once again, who gets no play at all, a team that's always going to be criticized every time, right? This guy, Garrett Wilson, does his job and and has that confidence factor. Sauce Gardner. Don't forget about Sauce Gardner. Confident. Why? Because, listen, we back it up sometimes. We, we, we And we're going to back it up. We're going to back it up. These guys are going to become great players, I believe, in the future. We're going to back it up. But on the road, hostile environment, after dropping a third down pass, I was like, oh, not Garrett Wilson, man. Not Garrett Wilson. He comes back and catches the game-winning TD. Excellent. Excellent for my guy. Elijah Moore, open, stud. Good job by him. You know, the offense line, too, by the way, for what it was worth, right, let go only of two sacks. Two sacks, which is good enough for me, considering who they have across the line of scrimmage. Garrett, well, Garrett, uh, Miles Garrett, sorry, and Jadavion Clowney. Don't forget, those guys are studs. And they had some blitz packages, too, that kind of posed us to some problems. But great job by them. Ultimately, though, the defense had a good answer for them in the running game as far as stopping the running game in the first half. We let go of ourselves in the second half. I'm not sure exactly why. We just, like, could not make any tackles. And at some point in time, it was like they were giving – these same lanes to Jacoby Brissett, making him win the game for them, which is what you're supposed to do anyway. But, you know, he was making the, some great plays. Don't forget, I mean, even though Brissett threw a pick to end the game, he was 22 or 27. He threw for over 235 yards, I believe. It's good enough for me. Good enough for me. And we gave him those thrown lanes because we wanted to stop the running game. Good game plan, but he was killing us in the first half. Second half, killing us, same thing. But we made... Some crucial stops, a big sack on third down um, that pretty much stopped them from putting the game away. And that slight chance of hope gave us enough time to go down and score a TD, score multiple TDs. Two slight chances of hope gave us enough time to go down and score TD. So I am happy, guys. I am ecstatic. Listen, man, go Jets. Either way, the way we did it to come back down like that, I am going to be happy this weekend. Moving on. Talk to me about the Lions and Commanders. All right. So I picked the Lions. He picked the Commanders. I'm not sure why exactly he picked the Commanders, but it happened. And <laughs> at some point, it was 22 nothing. <laughs> 22 nothing. Can you believe that? The Lions, once again, have some great, I wouldn't say great. I keep on saying great. Have some nice options in the passing game. Specifically, Amon Ross St. Brown. Also, cannot forget about 
um, Josh Reynolds too. He did a good job. That he does a job as far as just catching the ball and getting open sometimes. So good job by him. Offense line was overpowering once again. DeAndre Swift having these open running lanes. I mean, he's getting past the line of scrimmage and he's not getting touched about five, six yards in. That's how big these running lanes are. Once again, top five offensive line this season, guys. Top five. Calling it right now. And if you don't know, you should know how great this offensive line can be for the Lions this season. So, you know, the commanders were somewhat exposed last week when it came to the passing game by the Jaguars. This time around, I knew they would be exposed. I knew it was because when you have a veteran QB in Jared Goff who can spread the ball as he can and have guys like Amaran St. Brown and TJ Hawkinson, of course they're going to get some some good looks in the passing game. Of course. And that's what happened. That's what happened. And on top of that, you look at um, the, the the defense for the commanders. No answer for DeAndre Swift once again. Uh, no answer at all. I mean, there was one play where he had a third and 15 situation. Caught the ball in the backfield. Made like two guys miss. And then went on to score a TD. Like, terrible tackling. This defense is not what it used to be two years ago. You have to say that first and foremost. It is not what it used to be two years ago. And it probably won't be until we see some guys play up to standards. But it's not looking good right now. It is not looking good. And on top of that, you go to the other side of the ball, the defense for the Lions, Aiden Hutchinson, three sacks. Congratulations, my guy, because what a dominant performance. Dominant performance, another big thing. The commander's offensive line, it's not that great. It's not that great at all. It's, it's okay, but it's not that great. Probably, for me, still but, but it's not good. Below tier. It's really not because when you have guys like Hutchinson and it wasn't just him, they had some great push in the pocket the whole entire game for me, but he just finished off the game with the sacks, obviously, you know, but the commanders made a couple of runs, right? They got back into the game. Um, he had a, a big catch by Curtis Samuel. You had some, the the one yard run by Antoine, Antonio Gibson made some plays to get back into the game. I think that once again, the Lions, when it comes down to either being down by so much, they find a way to get back into the game, or when they're up by so much, they find a way to just let their foot off the gas pedal, and that's what happened. But uh, when it came down to making the biggest plays to make sure that they win that game, they did just that. Jared Goff, once again, hitting Amaran St. Brown on an out route in the corner of the end zone, the front corner of the end zone next to the pylon. I mean – when you have those kind of guys that can make those kind of plays, it's going to be tough to beat this team. And I also knew that going against Jeff Okuda and uh, Orowarie, they're better cornerbacks, in my opinion, than Tyson Campbell, who's not bad. He's solid, but better cornerbacks than him. And I feel, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the other cornerback. So I, I think, yeah, Shaq, Shaq Griffin. Yeah, Shaq Griffin. So, yeah, they would have some struggling to do in this game. <laughs> and the struggle they did, <laughs> right? So they fall to 0-2. Um, so sorry, no, they fought to one and one. Sorry, they should have been 0 2. The Jaguars left a couple of points on the board last week, but it is what it is. The Lions get their first win in a long time. Congrats to them because this team will be in a lot of games this year, similar to the Jaguars, who I picked also this week. This team will be in a lot of games this year. It's going to come down to can they make some big plays to at least put the game in their favor, right? Put the game in their favor. Didn't make too many mistakes in this game in me for me. And that's why even though the commanders came back and were down as much as seven, still I had full belief and full 
confidence in the Lions to win this game, regardless what if what happens. So either way, let's move on. Colts and Jaguars. Colts have been shut out by the Jaguars three times since 2017. Can you believe that, guys? Can you believe that? There's a reason why I picked the Colts to lose this game. Because, once again, the running game. Now, I thought it would be a little bit better than it was last weekend. But we talk about Jonathan Taylor and his impact on the game. I wouldn't say they didn't try, but it wasn't enough for me personally. But they, they did try, though. But when you see the looks of how it was going about, I mean, Taylor, no game. No gain, no gain, no gain. Two yards, two yards, no gain, no gain, no gain. He had about, like, what, five carries in the first half? Not good enough. Not good enough at all. And you're down 17, too. So now you have to throw, the, you have to throw your way back into the game, which didn't happen at all. Um, but Matt Ryan had a bad pick on the opening drive that pretty much was, to me, the momentum shifter in the game, even though it was so early. Because I'm, I'm drawing a blank on this guy's name, but number 83 for the Colts. Had him wide open on the out route. Wide open. Don't know what the hell Matt Ryan saw. But had him wide open. He decides to go to his second option. And he overthrows him. And it's just picked off easily. Easily by the Jaguars defender. Easily. So those kind of plays right there can turn your favor into the game of the Jaguars. And that's what happened. Um, Even though Trevor Lawrence played well, he did have some near interceptions. Definitely did. Don't forget about that. <laughs> Some near interceptions. Two near INTs that the Colts defense just dropped. But the Colts defense, though, I must say, this is what we were looking for. I mean, without the 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 maniac on that team, they're a much different team. Don't get me wrong. But they're not playing up to standards at all. They, they're, they're really not. I mean, seriously, you have no answer at all. No answer. The Brian Robinson, not Brian Robinson, sorry, Um, the... James Robinson, touchdown, wide open gap, breaking tackles easily. No answer for the, the short passing game, the lanes that that you had from Trevor Lawrence. Christian Kirk had two touchdowns in that game easily. Nothing really that was threatening them at all as far as looks as wise. That's, that's going off from the coach defense. Nothing threatened them at all. They didn't threaten the Jaguars. So... You know, I look at that and I'm saying to myself, where is the different looks? What's going on? I mean, shallow coverage, not good enough, not good enough at all. So Jaguars, that's the reason why they stumped out the Colts again, shut them out. And they are the leaders in the division. Can you believe that? One and one, everybody is either 0-1-1 or 0-2. (laughs) Yo, I cannot believe this at all. I cannot believe this. And for what it's worth, if the Titans would have won or their opening week against the Giants last weekend, they would have been tied for first place, despite how poorly they played last night. But geez, Louise, let's talk about the Broncos. Broncos, Texans, um, talk about a poor team so far, because in the first two games, Nathaniel Hackett is struggling as a head coach, rookie head coach. And this is why I was trying to explain to Will that sometimes when you have not been put in that situation before, your flaws as a coach or your flaws of what you think about the game can be exposed. And it's fine because he's a rookie head coach, but needs to do better. I mean, the finishing in the red zone is terrible. Once again, you can't go over 2 when you have Russell Wilson back there as a QB. You just can't. You just cannot. All right? And the Texans, if they were playing a better team, 
yo, believe me, the Texans would have been able to to or actually the other team would have been able to finish some drives because the Texans did not finish the drives either. Did not. What is the problem? What is the what what is going on? Seriously, the looks that they're getting is not matching up to what they want on the offense. It's not. It's really not. And I, I will say that the rushing game was still efficient, right? You still had Javante Williams go on and break tackles and whatnot. That guy is a stud, a stud. He is a, a powerful running back that after the 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 touching that he gets, you know, the, the tackling that he tries to get, when these guys touch him, it won't matter. Yak yards, yak yards, yak yards, yards after contact. Yak yards, yak yards. This guy is hard to bring down in the mode of a Derrick Henry for me. Very hard to bring down. Um, but you know, when you have a great running game like that, Williams and Melvin Gordon, it helps to lean on that running game, despite them not having anything going for them in the past game at all, anything going. Um, but there was still something that was down the field here and there. Obviously as the game opened up, you had that touchdown to sober. It's so funny because we have these veteran, <laughs> these veteran QBs, they were throw the touchdown passes to anybody else, but the star receivers, Corlin Sutton, Jerry Judy, who left in the game, obviously. Um, but Sober? Who's that guy? I never heard of him before. The second career touchdown. <laughs> That's crazy. But talk to me about the Texans. Um, Texans kind of couldn't finish drives. Going to golf again, like the Broncos secondary was exposed a little bit once again. Um, and the Texans had some plays down the field that went, wow. I mean, Brandon Cooks and Hollins getting behind that secondary like that. Or Nico Collins, I believe, getting behind the secondary like that. I mean, what's going on? Seriously. Um, when you have Davis Mills, once again, I kind of stated that he wouldn't have the same passing opportunities to stretch the field like he did last weekend. Um, and that kind of showed. But he did have some big chunk plays that I was very surprised of. Second, they got to clean up, man. The whole defense got to clean up because this is not what I expected at all. Not what I expected at all. Seriously, guys. Like, you, you got to do better. And it's the Texans. And you're at home. So that's why you won the game. But let this game be on the road against a better opposition. You lose this game. Every game is different, but the way you guys played, going off of the way you guys play and the way you played the first two games, very shaky. Very shaky, I must say. Very shaky. Moving on. Falcons and Rams. It almost happened. It almost happened. 28 to 3. It almost happened. Because, well, first off, let me start off by saying Drake London is a guy. That guy is a man, all right? He That guy is going to be great, great. When it comes down to the Falcons and who they chose, going off of what the Jets chose with Jake London, I mean, not Jake London, obviously Garrett Wilson and Jake London being chosen by the Falcons, I think it's safe to say that the team that they chose or that chose these two receivers made the right choices. But Jake London is a stud, 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 stud. Falcons missed a couple of opportunities, man. Talking about the first opening drive missed field goal by – uh, cool, not good at all. The fourth down stop, right? That was uh in in the game early on in the second half. I mean the first half, sorry. Um, and you went into the whole entire game. You say the Rams dominated the game, but somehow, some way, they almost let this Falcons team back into the game. And by the way, let me say this, guys. Marcus Mariota, for what it's worth, has always been called criticized and being called average and whatnot below average. But in this system that Arthur Smith has been running so far, and I think Arthur Smith, Arthur Smith is a good coach. He's a good coach for me. Very smart coach. 
But in this system, Mariota has looked good. He has looked good. Using his legs to make plays, having the easier throwing lanes that he did not have in Tennessee, he has looked good. So that could be an indication of what wasn't in Tennessee and what is in Atlanta. Because so far, this offense, they've had to face the Saints, who are a better team than them, even though they won. Even though they were close to winning that game, they were a better team, right, than than the Falcons. And two, you face the Super Bowl champions on the road. So, yeah, it's not an easy fixture to go against for the first two games. But so far, the offense has looked good. Going back into the game, um, Rams dominated, but you had Stafford. These picks, man, got to stop, but they won't stop because that's who he is. I mean, a pick in the end zone, jump ball basically to Tyler Higby, pick off, right? A bad interception too later on in the game. And we have a fumble by Cooper Cup. Really? A block punt? Wow. For a touchdown. Wow. That's insane. They wanted to give this game up. And it almost came down. Almost came down, guys, <laughs> to the Falcons tying up the game. Really. But a big play made by Jalen Ramsey, and that's how the game ends right there. But once again, talk about the Broncos being shaky. The, yo, the Rams look shaky, too. They look shaky, too. But for what it's worth, though, you did get Cam Akers into the offense this time for my fantasy owners. That's me included. Got him into the offense. You got Allen Robinson into the offense finally. I didn't really expect that to, you know, carry on for two straight games where they wouldn't look good. So that's one thing. Um, and also, on top of that, for the Falcons, what's going on with Kyle Pitts? I mean, what is going on with Kyle Pitts? This guy was a machine last year, a machine. But now in this new scheme, it's apparent. I'm not, It's not a new scheme, but in this new offense led by Mariota, it's apparent that he's not a focal point anymore. Drake London is, you know, Hodges, apparently, Zacchaeus is. Before Kyle Pitts, I don't know. I don't know. But either way, the offense still does look better than it did last year. But I want to see Kyle Pitts get more involved, though, because he two, two catches for 19 yards is not good enough for me. For what he's worth and for the matchup problems that he possesses, it's not good enough. It's not. Moving on, the Bengals and Cowboys, huh. So if the Bengals can play terrible as they did this past two weeks, then we have a chance next week. We have a chance. And you guys might be surprised on who I go with, but we'll see. But the Bengals, Burrow took six sacks. Once again, six sacks, a couple of QB hits. And if you would have told me out of these two matchups between Trevon Diggs and Jamar Chase and Darius Slay and Justin Jefferson, who would have the harder assignment? I would have said Trevon Diggs. Out to, to at least slow a guy down. But I was wrong because both these guys locked up these guys. <laughs> both Trevon Diggs and Darius Slay locked up their respective receivers. Crazy enough, but focusing on this game, what happened? Cooper Rush. That's what happened. When you have a mediocre slash backup QB in Cooper Rush, which he is at this point in time, you need everything on your team to click, your defense to get you stops your running game to keep on helping him and leaning on that to open up the lanes for throwing uh, against that, that secondary, right? You need your special teams to make their kicks, to have some good coverage, to get you some good field position. You need the coaches to drop some game plans 
that puts your QB into some good situations. And so far, from what I saw, that was good. Shout out to Dan Quinn. Shout out to Dan Quinn. Why? Because opening week, it's not an easy fixture to go against the Buccaneers. And so far, the Buccaneers have not looked great on offense. But still, it's Tom Brady. And you, you hold Tom Brady to 12 points after having, what, four trips inside the 30, I believe? Hold him to 12 points. That, to me, is a win. It's a win. You're going up against a, a Bengals team. Yes, they lost last weekend, but you still have to deal with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Board, Hayden Hurst, uh, Burrow, Joe Mixon, and you hold them for the most part of the game to six field goals, six points, nine points. They get a last drive that results in a touchdown, two-point conversion, but for the most part, you kept them quiet. Defense came out to play, had no answer for that. Black, the, the Bengals had no answer. For the blitz pickups, Michael Parsons looking great once again. Trayvon Diggs, listen, had a a a, mat, a matchup mismatch to me before the game started, and he quieted just I mean not just Jamar Chase. <laughs> Both LSU receivers got quieted. That's funny, but he quieted Jamar Chase, quieted him at least when he was matched up against him. So great job by that, and you look at the way that game went down. The Bengals could not move the ball at all. Nothing. Nothing down the field. Nothing down the field at all. So I want to see exactly how this team will respond. But, you know, shout out to the defense once again. I mean, you were playing against Cooper Rush, but shout out to the defense. Did your job. Um, But either way, though, Cooper Rush made some big-time plays in that game to set up Brett Mahar. Brett Mahar to win the game with that field goal. So, you know, the good win by the Cowboys. No one saw this coming. No one saw this coming. Bucks and Saints. It's it's like every time they play, Mike Evans wants to sneak <laughs> uh, Marshawn Lattimore. It's so crazy. I mean, I get it, bro. You're talking to Tom Brady. Talking smack to Tom Brady. So what? I mean, unless he's disrespecting him, whatever. I, mean, I, I don't understand. Because he's the GOAT, we can't talk smack to Tom Brady. That's what it is. Because to hit him like the way he did, like, that's too much. That's too much. Always hits him when he's not looking, by the way. To me, if you a man, hit him when he's up, when he's looking at you, not when he's not looking. But got ejected. He's suspended for suspended for one game. And Mike Evans, that was unnecessary. It really was. But that whole game, defenses played really well, came out to play in that game, okay? Three points across, what, three quarters is hard to do. There was nothing downfield, nothing downfield. And by the way, Michael Thomas is that guy. I told you guys he would come back and play great. Again, he's doing that so far. Great. But once again, Todd Bowles, it comes down to him playing some great coverages. And early on in the game, the Saints were picking up the blitz blitz pickups and whatnot. But it all comes down to if we have to win this game scrappy, we do that. Back-to-back weeks of winning the game scrappy. And what happens? Don't make the big turnover. Don't make the big mistake. And when you have Tom Brady, you can do that because you have a great defense behind you that could win you the game. And what happened? Jameis Winston, three interceptions, terrible. One on the throne, one pick six. You know, that you can't do that. And that's what it came down to. Three bad picks. Three bad picks that put the game away, right? You got to understand this. Like, if your defense is playing that well, Jameis, don't make the big mistake. 
don't make the big mistake and keep yourself in the game. Yes, they did score a touchdown to Brashad Perriman. I get it. But don't make the big mistake and cost your team the game by that. And that's what happened. So Saints lose that game 20-10. to And the Bucks 2-0. Good job by them. Pats and Steelers. You know what's funny? I did pick the Steelers to win this game. I was wrong because they have Trubisky back there. Trubisky, terrible pick to start off the game. He tried to squeeze it into Deontay Johnson. Didn't work out. Took unnecessary sacks. And yes, Big Ben is trying to console his QB by saying that, you know, it's not all his fault. For what it's worth, the Steelers offense coordinator is not calling the best plays. But still, the amount of plays that I've seen Trubisky make in that game that I was upset with was a lot. A lot. Um, Mac Jones played an okay game, too. He had a couple of near picks in that game. One was actually a pick to Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, but the touchdown throw to um, Nelson Aguilar was a go up and get a touchdown. That was all him. That was all him. The ball was should have been picked off. <laughs> should have been picked off, but that was all Nelson Aguilar. Great job by him on that part. Um, and on top of that, what a big difference TJ Watt makes for this team in his absence. Because we talk about how great this defense line is, Alex Highsmith, Cameron Hayward, and what happens? Did not touch Mac Jones the whole entire game. Did not touch him. Why? Because TJ Watt presents these mismatches for these guys to exploit, and they couldn't do it all by themselves. Did not touch Mac Jones. Yeah, he had a couple of QB hits. I'm talking about sacks. Sacks. No sacks the entire game. Great job by them. The Patriots offense looked much better, moved the ball considerably well, and just didn't make the biggest mistakes to turn the ball over. That was it. So good job to win the game on the road. And the Steelers, that's how they should have looked. That's how they should have lost the game last week. They looked sloppy, couldn't finish drives. You had a couple of drives, yeah, that maybe could have turned into something. But overall, Trubisky throwing behind the sticks. I mean, you're not going to get a first down by throwing the ball five yards behind the line of scrimmage. You're not going to do that. It's not going to happen. So that's what you saw. Raiders and Cardinals. He went with the Raiders. Sorry, I went with the Raiders. He went went with the Cardinals. And damn, I was this close. This close. I don't know how the Raiders, once again, mistakes that cost you the game. Blow a 20 to nothing lead at halftime. It's all Raiders in the first half. Everything that I saw would happen in that game that I thought they would win off of was working. Passing scheme was working. The running game was working. Enough. Murray looked trash. He looked garbage that first half. But what happens? The Raiders score only three points in the second half. Three freaking points. The Cardinals make some plays to get back into that game. Kyler Murray, obviously, the two-point conversions. Not conversion, conversions. Because covering 86 yards on, on that one play was outstanding. Outstanding. And then on the second one, the throw to the back of the end zone to A.J. Green, outstanding. That was a tough throw. He made it. He made it. But let's fast forward into the last drive, right? The Cardinals need a touchdown, and what happens? Um, You know, we have a, a sense of the Raiders playing some coverage defense, right, on that last touchdown drive. But I wonder exactly, what was the game plan for that call? Because if you know that you have been getting gassed on the ground the entire game because of uh, Kyler Murray's legs, contain. That's it. That's all you have to do. Contain. Contain, contain. Don't rush the QB. Just force him to stay inside the pocket, and you're playing coverage defense anyway. Force him to pick you apart by doing that, by throwing the ball into coverage. But because you guys lose contain, he has an easy running lane. It's about two yards to the, to the, to the goal line. Two yards. Contain the guy. 
But you guys want to rush the passer and the pocket breaks. And, you know, he's the most dangerous when the pocket breaks in itself. That was just poor management by the Raiders. Poor management. And obviously the holding call in the end zone to give him life. But poor management. And on top of that, let's fast forward to OT. The Raiders, after forcing a big drive punt by the Cardinals, actually, you you dislodged the ball from Marquise Brown's hands. Not my wide receiver number one, <laughs> by the way. Um, make a great play. Harmon. Harmon made great plays in that game. Great plays in that game. Back-to-back plays in that game, actually, too. You have a chance to end the game. And what happens? Hunter Renfro fumbles. But don't forget, guys. Don't forget. He fumbled on the other play before that. And it was recovered by, I believe, Foster Monroe. It was recovered. But he fumbled on the play before that. And he fumbles again. Fumbles again. You can't, How are you going to do that? Back-to-back times. You can't do that. And it's picked up by Byron Murphy, and the game is over. And a game that should not have been won by the Cardinals, I, I must say, should not have been won. Home, you, you're playing in the black hole, should not have been won. But the Raiders give up too many chances. And the credit the Cardinals defense, because to give up only three points in the second half is outstanding. But the Raiders, nothing worked out for them in the second half at all. Defense couldn't make any stops. Offense couldn't get going. Had a chance to get going and over T, and you fumbled the ball. This is one of the best live receivers in the NFL? Him? That's crazy. That's crazy. He is still, to me, he is. But, I mean, to let the game go like that was insane. Seriously insane. Uh, Dolphins and Ravens. So, opening kickoff return for a touchdown? Wow. That's crazy. Bad start on the road. And then on top of that, the Dolphins actually make up for it by getting a goal line stop. Lamar Jackson fumbles, and they could have been up 14 to nothing, but instead they were up 7 nothing. Um, But either way, though, I must say, throughout the entire game, big runs, big, big runs. Shaw Bateman, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, Lamar Jackson, big runs for big touchdowns, right? Great job by them. Because this game was all built on explosiveness and just making um, some plays after the catch. That was what it was. All right. Tua, by the way, made some great throws in that game. The back of the end zone throw to Gesicki was outstanding. That was great. I loved it. The one, the touchdown, the go-ahead touchdown to Jalen Waddle was great. Um, but I must say, forget about all this nonsense. Ravens, to be up, what, 35? No, not 35. Yeah, 35 to 14? And you lose the game in the fourth quarter? You, what? What? Like, I, I credit, that that's more of a Ravens loss to me than the, than the Dolphins win. Why? Because the way the Dolphins won, I know what people may say, right? Because last week I said that this Dolphins team wouldn't be an explosive team. And to me, it still isn't. Why? Because a couple of defensive breakdowns that lead to wide open touchdowns is not, a, not explosiveness. It's not. You're not exploiting the defense. You're just taking advantage of defensive breakdowns. That's what happened in the game. That's what happened. I don't know how for the life of me, Tyree Kill gets behind the defense twice Back-to-back drives behind the defense twice. Insane. Insane, guys. Insane. That was poor coaching. Before that, John Harbaugh, while he was up 7 nothing, I mean, no, he was up uh, 14 points. He decides to go for it on fourth down. Why? Why? Punt the ball. Punt the ball. See, because you are so aggressive, you give me Brandon Staley vibes. Because you are so aggressive and you wanted to put the game out of reach, you don't punt the ball. 
but you were up by 14 points. And what happens the next drive, the next series, the next play possibly, the defense has a breakdown and Tyreek Hill gets back there for a touchdown. That's what happens. Punt the ball. All you got to do, punt the ball. And on top of that, going back to Tua, right? Tua, I must say, has been proving me wrong so far through two weeks possibly, right? Um, he leads the NFL in throws that are 10 plus yards. for. He's first in that. Leads the NFL in touchdowns for 10 plus throws. And now he is, I think. For accuracy uh, standpoint, he's top five right now. Leads the NFL, I think, in in, in um passing yards, or he's top three. Receivers, Waddle, Tyreek Hill, top five in that department. But what you guys have to understand is that if you are a QB, making those throws aren't special. I mean, he had a couple of good throws in that game. Don't get me wrong. But making those behind the defense throws are not special. They're wide open. One of the throws was underthrown. They're wide open. You you have to make those throws in the NFL. You have to. So, yes, good job by them to come back into that game. I did not expect that at all. No one expected that. But wide open throws. Make those throws. You got to make those throws. If if Joe Flacco didn't make the wide open throw to, to Corey Davis, I would have been upset. Even if I knew we would come back and win that game anyway, I would have been upset because it's wide open. So, yeah, of course. But the Ravens, though, bad coaching this time by John Harbaugh, bad management, bad defense overall. And and Lamar Jackson, for what it's worth, did his job. I think the offense did his job, too, for what it's worth. But, geez, Louise, man, what a game. What a game in which you should not lose, by the way. Should not lose. The Dolphins are 2-0. Wow. 2-0. Giants and Panthers, another team that's 2-0. Giants, opening kickoff fumble by the Panthers? Really? I mean, they, 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 they came in and started off terribly wrong. Cannot do that. And the Giants, being as if they're not that much of a good team as they should be to put this game out of reach, let them off the hook. Only two field goals to show for it. Right? But an opening kickoff fumble, Robbie Anson fumble. And by the way, Robbie Anson has been – that's been him. Like, don't don't get me wrong. Robbie Anson is a guy that is slender. He's, slang, he's lanky, not big, not bulky. So, yeah, I'm not surprised when he loses the ball like that because it's happened in the past. He's prone to fumbling sometimes, and that's what happened in this game. Um, but somehow, someway, this team did not get punished by it. They're only up 6 nothing. So if you take that as a Panthers fan, you should be happy. But either way, though, Panthers could not finish drives either. You know, you put together a nice, quick, free-play drive to get a touchdown by DJ Moore. That was good. Took the lead with that. You were up 13-6 to at that point in time. But the Giants, that's kind of when they rose to life and they made some plays in that game, right? Daniel Jones with his legs, Saquon Barkley. The reason why I thought the Giants would win that game anyway was because of the running game, which came to life in the later stages of the fourth quarter. It happened, okay? And on top of that, just some great throws by Daniel Jones that helped him to win that game. It was a pretty clean game, too, as well. Um, and the defense came to play. Had some big stops in the fourth quarter. Some big stops in the fourth quarter. Some blitz packages that the Panthers could not pick up. Offense line is still terrible, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, a week after that will not change anything of that sort. Could not pick up the bliss packages at all. And that forced Baker Mayfield to rush his reads and to get outside the pocket and make some bad throws. So that's what happened. But kudos to Brian Dayball. The G-Men are 2-0. and 2-0. and Not bad at all. Niners and Seahawks. So, you know what's funny, guys? I picked the Niners to... No, I picked the Seahawks to cover the spread by .95. These guys got blown the F out. My goodness. My goodness. It's very unfortunate for Trey Lance because Jimmy G 
does what he does. He came in and won that game. But for Trey Lyons to lose his um season off of that ankle injury is unfortunate. But hopefully he comes back stronger. Um, the Seahawks. Let me tell you guys a a, a series in that game where I felt like the Seahawks are just terrible. And this is what let's this is why last week was a fluke, right? Seahawks driving, have a good throw by Geno Smith to to Disley, have a good run by Kenneth Walker on the Wildcat formation, and then after that, DJ Dallas gets picked off in the end zone off of a you know misdirection type crazy play. I don't know what the hell happens, but the ball was so short, did not even get there at all. That ball was so freaking short, guys, so short. What the hell was that? Uh, on the goal line. He's supposed to lob the ball back in the end zone to DK Metcalf. That ball was in the front part of the end zone. Terrible. Terrible. But the, I mean, sorry, Geno Smith gets picked off too in that game. More sightings of Geno Smith being himself, <laughs> as usual. Um, but the highlight of that game came um, and with a blocked field goal that led to a touchdown. But either way, though, too many mistakes in that game for the Seahawks to win. The muff punt by uh, Crawford, too, wasn't good at all. And the Niners are a much better team, much better coaching team, uh, much better talent. For the most part, that's how you win the game at home. Easy. Moving on, Packers and Bears. How did Fields throw for 70 yards? I'll tell you how. Three and out. Three and out. Three and out. Three play, three and out. 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 That's what happened. After that first good drive, that was it. The Packers with their long offensive drives too. It's evident that the running game and the running backs will run this offense until Aaron Rodgers builds some rapport with his receivers. But ultimately, though, I don't see anything that's going to make me believe that the Bears have a chance of really scoring a lot of points this season. I don't. I really don't. Um, the Packers defense did play good. They came alive. Um, and also, for what it's worth, the Bears running game played well, too. All right, They had a good dosage of that in the game, but ultimately was not good enough. Um, the Packers came to live, and the defense played much better than they did last weekend. So good job by that. And who put the Packers and Bears on Sunday Night Football? Like, who did that? Come on now. Who who did that? Who did that? Bills and Titans. Titans played well the first series on the defense, right? Somehow they played well, and they were still down 7 nothing. But still, they played well for me. They did. And then on top of that, you, you get the ball back. You score. It's 7-7. Derrick Henry makes it 7-7. You make a big stop on fourth down against the Bills. And after that, the game just depletes. It goes crazy. Nothing happens after that. It's done. Why? Because the Bills' passing game is too complex. Too much. Stephon Diggs, a mismatch for anybody he steps across. Mismatch for anybody. Too complex. Too many open lanes. Josh Allen is a freak of nature, respectfully. And... On top of that, um, we have a case of just the Titans making some bad plays. Some bad plays. You know, once again, Ryan Tannehill, a guy who I've supported in the past, I no longer support him, <laughs> by the way. But too many miscues. He tries to force the ball to Robert Woods. He gets picked off, tipped and picked off by Jordan Poyer. He tries to force the ball in the middle. It gets picked off by Matt Milano, pick six. And we have a muff pump by Kyron Phillips. We have a fumble when he gets into the game. Malik Willis gets into the game. He fumbles. Too many miscues. I mean, as a road team, you will not win the game like that. You will never win the game like that. You won't have a chance against this team. Like, come on, guys. Come on. Seriously. Come on. 
what is going on here? The Titans have a lot to work out with, and they have lost five of their six receivers from last year that led them in receiving yards. So it's going to be a learning process, a learning curve to make up for it. But they look terrible. They look terrible once again. And it goes back into once a Bills team or once a team makes you one-dimensional, unless you are a team that, like the Titans, should be able to overpower that aspect of them making you one-dimensional. If you can't do that, it's hard for you to score points. And that's what happened. You know, that's what happened. So it is what it is, but the Titans are 0-2. And surprisingly 0-2. But either way, though, um, this team is not good right now. Not good at all. Now, talk to me about last night. Last night, the Vikings and Eagles. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Eagles came with a game plan. It worked. Jalen Hurts, it worked. Opening, drive, opening, everything. Easy. Easy pitch and catch. Easy passing lanes. The running game, overpowering once again. Miles Sanders, easy. Jalen Hurts, easy. You know, by the way, the, the let's go to the Vikings defense. Forget about that. Let's go to the Vikings defense. What the hell was that? What was that? Seriously. Think about it this way, guys. The Vikings did not change up anything their entire night. Did not change up a thing on defense. It was the same shallow defense, same nothing the entire night. No creativity, no different looks, nothing. Two deep safeties. Cornerbacks playing quarters coverage off this line of scrimmage. No bump and run. Nothing. Nothing at all. They gave the Eagles so many layups in that game to just pick them apart because these guys were playing off coverage. Nothing changed the entire night. Nothing at all. And when you have that 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 game plan of not changing up anything the entire night, not making any adjustments the entire night, it's like, how how will you win the game? How how will you get back into the game? You know? And it's funny because the Eagles were up 24 to 7 at halftime. They didn't score a single point after that. But still they were able to move the ball down the field. And even though they didn't score a point, the Vikings on defense didn't change anything. And they still look terrible. Still look terrible. And Kirk Cousins, I mean Captain Kirk. Oh my gosh. Where, where do I even begin sometimes, man? Seriously, what, what, what happens? What happens? I don't understand. Kirk Cousins, I have supported you. You do this to me. So I picked the Vikings. He picked the Eagles. Um, why? Because I felt like the Vikings could exploit the passing secondary or the secondary of the Eagles and get them into situations where they wouldn't feel comfortable, right? They wouldn't feel good enough. I thought that Justin Jefferson would have an, a better day than what he did last night against Darius Slay. That was not at all uh, true <laughs> I, I thought that Adam Thielen would get some targets this time he had about two in the game and you know for what it's worth Slay and Bradbury have been playing some great football even though it's two weeks I get it but playing some great football all right but what happened in that game no running lanes for Dalvin Cook nothing downfield aside from that that opening drive right or no sorry the second drive the Vikings, the Vikings had the touchdown to Irv Smith, that was about it. Nothing else the whole entire game. So the Vikings surprisingly had so many chances to get back into the game. So many chances. So many chances. I'm talking about opening second half. You know, you're driving, you're driving, driving, driving. You're about to cut the lead down to, what, 10? 
no, sorry, 14 points. Oh, yeah, 10. It would be 14 and 24. And Kirk Cousins throws a pick. And I must say, to me, that pick was more so on Justin Jefferson. Why? Because he went behind Darius Slay. You can't go behind Darius Slay on the on a corner round. You can't on a post route. Sorry. You have to drive towards the post, towards the middle of the field. As a cornerback, that's what he's going to do. He's going to drive toward the ball. And Kirk Cousins threw the ball where he was supposed to drive to, but he didn't drive. He went behind him, and it's an easy pick for 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 Darius Slay. But that wasn't, you know, that wasn't the whole entire game of the fourth quarter, at least. Kirk Cousins played terrible. Terrible. I mean, the Kevin point in that game where you had him throw the ball up multiple times, just just throwing the ball up for grabs, as if he had Calvin Johnson back there, Mike Evans back there, Michael Thomas. You know, like, you can't, you, you, like, for what it's worth, Jefferson is a great receiver, but he's not a guy that can go up and get the ball as much as you think he should have last night. Like, terrible, terrible. And these these throws were not throws that were put in situations that he can go up and get the ball himself. That's how bad it was because it came down to a point where the Eagles were blitzing the hell out of him, the hell out of him, and he had no choice but to throw the ball up like that, though? I mean, you're not even giving yourself a chance. Seriously. And we had – there were so many miscues in this game. I mean, the Irv Smith that was dropped, that, was, that should have been the big play. He dropped the ball. Um – but they had so many chances to get back into the game. The blocked field goal by Patrick Peterson to get him back into the game. The pick by Hicks to get him back into the game. Didn't take advantage of none of that. None of that. None of that. Seriously. Kirk Cousins, to me, last night looked garbage. Garbage. I don't understand how you allow Darius Slay, who almost had, he, he should have had six interceptions last night. Should have had six, but he has two. Because the amount of jump balls that Kirk Cousins gave him was insane. Cannot do that. You cannot do that. But either way, though, um, defense give up no points, and you still had a chance to somewhat get back into the game, and the Vikings don't take that. Now, Kevin O'Connell has to go back to the drawing board and see exactly what he has to work on. But, I mean, last night was a night to forget. A night to forget. Surprisingly, though, the Eagles looked much better, much better than what they looked like last weekend. So, Kudos to them for that. But anyways, guys, what a great, great episode. I mean, a lot to talk about. We'll go back and give you guys a preview for uh, TNF, Thursday Night Football between the Steelers and the Browns. So we'll see about that. But either way, what a great episode. Will should be back for that episode. And let's have a great day. Let's keep on doing our thing. And let's keep on grinding, man. Support Game Breakers. Keep on supporting the brand. Keep on liking our content on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. And look out for the more news that we will be breaking down for you in the future. It's your boy Edwin, and I am out. Peace.